Welcome to our backyard. This is the Backyard Philosophy Podcast. We are two friends having a discussion after everyone else has passed out or gone to bed. Grab a drink and listen as we discuss everything from automation, space exploration, and why the meaning of life is 42. February has one of the most romantic days, Valentine's Day. Love is in the air. Partners bestow chocolate, flowers, and romantic gestures to one another. And nothing says romance like historical sex scandals. And perhaps nothing says sex scandals more than the Catholic Church. And today's episode is composed of scandals of which many have deemed him the worst pope in history, title hard to get, and it's just in time for Valentine's Day. Almost like we planned it. But before I tell the debacle of an evil pope, Nick, how are you and what are you drinking? Not enough. <laughs> Not enough. <laughs> I'm gonna, I got some Kona brewing ale here, but I should have gone stronger, I guess. I didn't know. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, here There's we are. I've been hitting the whiskey. <laughs> here we are indeed. And let's start this dark tale with the lineage of a boy. A son of a powerful man, grandson to an even more powerful woman. This child would be Octavian, the son of Alberic II of Spoleto, Elberic, Octavian's father, born into an, into an Italian noble family, a family who has a history of power grabbing. Elberic's mother, Octavian's grandmother, was none other than Morzia. For those who don't know, Morzia was the man, or better terms, the woman, behind the curtain of the power for Rome, for Italy, and at the time, the papacy itself. Marozia, who was of noble birth, born between sometime 890 to 892 AD. Her parents, with their own dark history, but I didn't want to go far, didn't want to go that down the rabbit hole. With her parents, she gained an appreciation for power, for wealth, and she quickly used both to position herself into a, the hierarchy of Italy. Using her beauty, wit, and a family name, she became close to Pope Sigrius III, becoming the Pope's mistress, and some even calling her the female Pope for the amount of power she had. So I'm just curious on Pope's mistress. Were Popes allowed are Popes allowed to marry? This is a qu- I thought not. So at this time, I think it's important to note that this is still young Christianity, and the Pope was more of a king than a religious figure. So there are no rules. And, well, actually, yes. Like, um, celibacy didn't really... It was noted, but not established. It'd be later on in history when it would be established that priests and popes and cardinals weren't supposed to take wives. No, we need to be... R2, we need to be going up, not down. <laughs> well, they're still trying to figure everything out. I mean, again, Christianity is less than a thousand years old at this point. And after her time with Pope Sergius III, she had become pregnant with the Pope's child. Like I said, celibate is being debated for Christianity. It is common, not uncommon, to be, unquote, celibate, though really follow, rarely followed throughout history. I mean, if you look at popes, even when celibacy was established, they still didn't really follow it. Needless to say, a pope having a baby out of wedlock to a noble mistress isn't exactly good PR. Can I just say something, mostly because it's a sentence I never thought I'd say? That Pope fucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you'd be surprised on how many Popes fuck. So, while still pregnant with the Pope's baby, the Pope married off to Alberic I, 
and had her first son, the Pope's son, John. Later on, with Alberic, they gave birth to Alberic II. Really classy names for all these kids. A few years would pass, and Alberic I would die. And Marozia, being such a threat, other powerful figures decided to try to remove her from the equation. Again, she was nicknamed the female Pope. One of the threats would come from Pope John X. When Pope John X started to threaten her and her power, she did not take kindly to it. She, in fact, turned to and tried to marry one of his rivals, Guy Magrov of Tuscany. Together, they attacked Rome, the papacy, with their armies. They took Pope John X as prisoner, who mysteriously died while in captivity. Hmm, I wonder how that one could have happened. Well, it probably killed himself, very similar to Jeffrey Epstein, if I had to guess. Oh, that's a good one. Ugh. Quickly taking Rome, she waited till her son John was of age and put John in position of the Pope. The two popes, before her son was of age to take the popehood, were considered puppet popes for the time, but both of those puppet popes mysteriously died somehow. Couldn't possibly be foul play. Then, in 929 AD, her second husband, Guy, would die, and using this to her advantage, she offered a marriage to her longtime rival, Hugh of Arles, and she gave him an offer he could not refuse. See what I did there? A little, little Italian godfather joke? There's just like a rant, like the names are so random, I feel like. <laughs> oh man, you have no idea the str- like how focused I am on the names. She would bestow her son, John, like I said, to the Pope. Her and her new husband, Hugh, would rule Rome. But she kind of forgot somebody. Oh yeah, her son, her second son, Alberic. Still alive feeling angry for being forgotten, and left out of the family business. He decided to show up for the wedding, Hugh's and his mother's wedding. And apparently, and this is from Lupertund description, this is how I went, and I am summarizing here because he went on a very long rant about it, so bear that in mind. Marozia, Alberic's mother, asked Alberic to pour water so her new husband could wash his hands. Alberic said, sure, no problem. He went up, grabbed some water, and started to pour it, but started to pour it clumsily. So that Hugh would get angry for being splashed with water and hit him out of anger. Which is exactly what Hugh did. He hit his new son-in-law. That is exactly what Alberic wanted. Alberic, after getting stuck in public, getting struck in public, went to the people and riled them up. Telling the people about the other people Hugh had conquered, all the things his mother did to gain power, and ask if Hugh was able to hit his own stepson on their wedding. Just imagine what happens when he established himself inside the city. The people were in an uproar and attacked. Led by Alberic himself, they took down Hugh and his mother. Hugh apparently escaped by climbing down and out of the castle. Marozia and his brother John, the Pope, not so lucky. They were taken prisoner and locked up for five years until Marozia, his mother, died in prison. Couldn't really find much on his brother, which I imagine did not meet such a great end. No, probably not. I mean, there's only so many good ways to die at this point in history. Poor choice of words. Poor choice of words. Wait until we get later on. Alberic II was now ruler of Rome. Alberic would now marry Alda of Vienna, but we're not quite sure if this is the boy's mother who we were talking about in the beginning, Octavian. For Octavian's mother is either Alda, Alberic's wife, or Elbrick's concubine. We're not quite sure. 
It's like a broad array of options there. Well, speaking of incest and broad array, Alda, Albrecht's new wife, might have been his stepsister from one of the three to two and a half marriages she was involved in. So it's kind of hard to say. They might have been related. So that's a little uh, iffy. But Albert and Alda would 100% have one son together. That is definitely both theirs. Gregory, who would become the Count of Tusculum. Some years would pass and Albert II, ruler of Rome, would become sick. And on his deathbed, rather than naming his oldest, Gregory, would name his youngest son, Octavian, as the heir and Prince of Rome. Apparently, Albert made the nobles swear that his son would be the first to take the vacancy of the Popehood when he reached of age, and that they would help. Something I found funny is that the Pope's successor is not supposed to be made during the current ruler's lifetime. So in other words, the current ruler can't decide who will be the next Pope. But the nobles kind of let it slide, with him being the most powerful man in the kingdom and all. Alberic would die, making Octavian in charge at the ripe age of 10 years old. Which, history has shown, making a young little boy powerful ruler always works out say like what nine times out of ten at least it's a good i mean you're gonna you're gonna have failures but nothing's perfect well straight out the gate he started waging war against italian dukes and the best part is he lost against all those italian dukes octavian would be named bishop of todi and funny enough with the pope to be and being a bishop did not really care for religion some years would pass, and a pope spot would open up right when Octavian turned 18. What are the odds? So, on December, tw- on December 16th, 955 AD, Octavian would become the pope. And from there, Octavian would change his name to John. John the Twelfth, and John the Twelfth would soon become arguably the most evil pope in all of history. Nick, I hope you have another drink ready, because the laundry list of messed up things he did, well... It gets long, and it rivals the worst of them. I mean, yeah, that's just so confusing. This bad pope. Let's start at the beginning of his lesser scandals. Bribery. John had many vices. Many of them required money to continue them. So quite often, he would accept money for office positions. You know, a real politician of his time. Accepting bribes for office positions. And he tended to use those bribes that he gained on gambling, alcohol, and prostitutes. Well, I mean, we're from Chicago area, so this just seems pretty tame to me. Well, during gambling, apparently, as Pope, he would toast the devil, invoke pagan gods, and refuse to make the sign of the cross. Nothing says a man of the god like praising the devil. That was the most tame of the Pope's misdeeds. I was going to say, say what you will about Chicago politicians, but I don't think they worship the devil. (laughs) And that's for D.C., not Chicago. Yeah, not far off, but at least not openly. (laughs) From there, the young pope began to get worse, turning the Vatican Palace into a brothel and would openly and try to have sex with married women. He had many mistresses, even pointing one as governor of one of the papal cities and another, a widow, he banged and gave her control of seven Italian cities. I know this person I'm about to mention isn't Italian, but I'm just picturing like an Austin Powers Pope. Just, uh, not really, no. His makeshift brothel, he would have massive orgies, and apparently, Pope John was a switch hitter, for he had sex with both males and females at the orgies. A lot of, a lot of podcasts revolving around that these days. Is this a trend? My, <laughs> uh, my Catholicism 
it's a little bad, but isn't you're not supposed to lay with another man in the Bible somewhere? Which is kind of funny for the Pope being a switch hitter. Yeah, but what what year was this again? Uh, eight nineties, nine nine hundreds. BC or yeah, BC obviously. AD. A, or, AD. I mean AD. Yeah, I fucked that up. I'm, I'm I meant after death, but I mean it wasn't that far off from the time when you could have sex with the others as long as you were giving it. I I don't know where the Catholic Church stands on that. That was a Roman rule, but not. Rome, not the biggest fan of the Catholics. Yeah. Well, at the Vatican Palace, which he was having orgies, the Vatican Palace also has lots of rooms, which he simply filled with all the prostitutes from the orgies to live in. He did not want to wait or go out and find the the prostitutes and the orgy members, so both male and female prostitutes were giving living quarters at the Vatican. At least he wasn't wasting tithe payer dimes going out looking for prostitutes. That's just efficiency. <laughs> well, it, that's again, we're starting with the best and working towards the worst. During his time of whoring and partying, Rome, the territory he ruled, was decaying. Since he was using all the money on gambling and prostitutes, none of the buildings had any money for repairs. Buildings began to fall apart, and some were simply abandoned. Some say, and I can't find evidence for it, but I wouldn't put it past him, that Pope John Twelfth apparently set some buildings on fire. The reason I wouldn't put it past him, for he loved to defile holy sites, like the tombs of St. Peter and St. Paul. How the fuck did this guy become Pope? <laughs> oh, it gets worse. You may think, well, why don't they remove him from power, like Nick's thinking, or at least stop him from doing the things popes aren't supposed to do. Well, <laughs> one man tried, and it ended very poorly for him. A subdeacon, or a cardinal, found conflicting, conflicting information on the man's position, moving on. He once told John to stop. Stop being sinful, repent, go back to the good old Catholic way. John did not like this. So in turn, he castrated him, then later on got bored of him and executed the subdeacon. God knows how many others he killed. As the years went on, the Pope got worse. When pilgrims came to visit, he would steal their money to pay for his vices. And if it wasn't bad enough that the Pope stole money from the pilgrims, if the Pope fancied any of the pilgrims, either male or female, he would have sex with them along with taking their money. And if the pilgrims didn't want to have sex with him, he raped them. Along with raping pilgrims, he would also rape his own sisters and his niece. Apparently, to me, this man had no empathy at all for things he did. For, when he confessed to his confessor, apparently the Pope has a confessor, didn't know that, but when confessing, he got bored of his confessor, so he blinded his confessor, just because he was simply bored. The confessor would die from his injuries. And, Nick, remember how I said he liked to defile sacred places? Would you like to hear how he would defile sacred places? Yes and no. I'm, I'm, it's like a car accident. Like, I know I shouldn't, but I want to know. <laughs> well, he picked up a habit of fornicating and raping women who came to pray at St. Peter's. John Twelfth would rape a lot of people. This would all go for about five years. John would have been about 23 when finally... King Burgundier II would hear how weak Rome had become from John's rule. King Burgundier's ancestors at one point actually ruled Rome, so probably some bad blood there. 
So in 960 AD, King Burgundere began his invasion for his own gain. First, taking the poorly defended Papal States, hard to defend or prepare when the Pope has been using all your funds for his own personal gains. And once on the campaign, King Burgundere apparently let all of Pope John's enemies know he was attacking, seeking assistance from them, I presume, or perhaps gloating. During the invasion, Burgundere's son, Lothair, would die from poisoning. And if I had to make an educated guess, it had come from his own father, Burgundere. What? He seems like a, such a great guy. For as soon as Lothair died, Burgundere kidnapped his wife, his son's wife, Adelaide, and tried to force her to marry him. Adelaide would flee and marry King of Germany, Otto the Great, making Otto now a possible enemy for Burgundere. John, the Pope, seeing this, made a deal with Otto the Great, promising to make Otto the Holy Roman Emperor and give him the crown if he fought for Burgundere. So on February 2nd, 962 AD, Otto became the Holy Roman Emperor. But Otto also made John give up some of his power and vices, which John wasn't the fondest of. But he kind of needed the King of Germany, so he went along with it. Otto the Great was kind of known throughout Europe as being really good at war and a very pious and religious man. So when Burgundy's troops heard that the German is now the Holy Roman Emperor and is going to fight them, a lot of his army disbanded. A little bit later on in March 962 AD, Otto asked or probably demanded that John started acting more holy. You know, the basics. Stop gambling, stop the orgies, and oh yeah, stop raping people. John did not like this. So finally when Otto left to go fight Burgundier, John began to plot and send letters to Otto's enemies, trying to muster, trying to muster an army so when Otto was done fighting Burgundier, another army would come in and fight Otto. I want to point this out. From the span of Otto saying, stop raping people, to the point of John started plotting against Otto, was about two weeks. While Otto was marching to fight Burgundier, he received word about John sending letters to his enemies, whether it be from a tip that came from inside the Vatican, or one of Otto's soldiers capturing John's ambassadors. Either way, Otto was pissed and decided to take his army and begin to march to Rome to kill the Pope. John, hearing this, decided, oh shit, I messed up, gathered as much gold, most of the papal treasury at this time, drinking women he could, and fled to Tivoli. Otto, being pissed off that he can't kill John, called all the church members for assembly and decided to have a trial on Pope John, even if John wasn't there. The church members began to list off the sins of Pope John. Never taking communion before mass. Okay, not the worst. A gambler. Not great. An adulteress. Eh, who isn't? An arsonist. Ugh. That's not uh, exactly great. A rape? and incest? Okay, okay, okay. What the fuck? Oh, and murder. So, on December 4th, 963 AD, they decided in the assembly of Pope John was no more and appointed Pope Leo as Pope. Leo, you're up to bat. Former, por- former Pope John, hearing about this trial and decision, was enraged, threatening to excommunicate every member of the church, start a riot, and put a bounty on Anno's head. All this actually carried some weight, for at this time, the Romans hated Germans. Otto was German, so naturally, Rome hated Otto. They also hated the new pope, Pope Leo, simply because Otto backed him, hate through association. So Otto went, fuck this, I'm going home, after a bad riot happened on January 4th, 964 AD. And Otto, after putting out the riot, simply left. 
leaving the city in mess. After Otto left, the Romans decided that they didn't like the Pope anymore, and they liked Pope John more than Pope Leo. So they kicked him out. Leo ran back to Otto. John came back to take the throne. But in the time that John took back the position of Pope, he tortured and excommunicated all those who denounced him in his absence and excommunicated Leo. Otto, hearing all this, decided, fuck it, I'm just going to kill John and be over with it. Once again, Otto marched on Rome with an army. Once again, John fled, this time to a different place, Cambenga. I want to remind everyone, this is all happening in the span of nine years. John is about 27 years old right now. He took the Pope's position at about the age of 18. John decided this time he'll keep a low profile. You know, less less wealth being spent, less whoring. Maybe, but, maybe we tone down the rape and murder. That should help our numbers. <laughs> well, it didn't help that much in the end. Uh, he decided to keep it down, keep a low profile for a long time because it would take a long time for Otto to make it to Rome. Marching from Germany to Rome is quite a quite a distance, but old habits would die hard. John apparently was still a sinner and loved to sleep around, and this would be his undoing. Now, there are two ways John apparently died. The first is having a stroke in the middle of having sex, which I'm doubtful of because he was only 27 years old. The second way, which I find far more believable and I really hope is true because it kind of got some justice at the end, is that one of the women he was sleeping with was married. And the husband caught them. From there, the husband catching John would apparently beat the other living crap out of him. Apparently so bad that John would die from internal bleeding from the fucking ass cooking he deserved and got. Either way, Pope John Twelfth would die May 14th, 964 AD. His death, in my opinion, should have come sooner. But in the nine years of his reign, he raped, tortured, murdered, plus dozens of other crimes, on people who didn't deserve it, even raping his own sisters and his own niece. So when this Valentine's Day rolls around, just stay away from popes and spread some love in the world, because man, there are some real assholes in the world. And to me, Nick, he gets the title of the most evilest pope. It's kind of hard to say you're holy when you like toasting to the devil, defiling on sacred sites, and you like to rape pilgrims and your own family. You said this was a depressing story. It seems like a an uplifting story where karma wins out in the end. Karma came a little late on this one, in my opinion. Well, that's the thing about karma. It's, it, it comes around. It, it never comes when you want it to. It's, that's why every time you see someone do something stupid on the road, you're like, I wish there was a cop here. There's never a cop there. But we have to hope that somewhere down the road, that person's going to do something stupid in front of a cop. Well, Nick, I guess in my faith, I hope God would work in mysterious ways a little bit faster. A little tongue-in-cheek there. But yes, to my opinion, as far as I know for Popes, he's perhaps the most evil in history, and a lot of historians agree with me. Thank you all for listening. Thanks for listening to the Backyard Philosophy Podcast. We rarely finish a podcast without missing a point we wanted to bring up, so let us know what we forgot. And if you have a topic you want us to talk about, let us know at Backyard Philosophy on Instagram and Backyard Philosophy Podcast on Facebook.